to develop yourself and to be able to choose what are the things that you want to learn. That was so new to me. That is a kind of learning that is not very common, at least for what I've seen. Design, design, design. Design Research Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Design Research Podcast. My name is Arif Kornweitz and I'm here with Agata Javorska. Hi, Agata. Hi, Arif. So today um, we'll speak to Irakli Sabekia and Axel Kaumanns. And they both have two different projects that are interrelated in several ways, as you'll hear. We'll speak about razor wire, the beach, conducting research in and outside the academy, and lots more. But first, maybe Agata, you could tell us a little bit about the Knowledge Circle and how you got here. Sure. So the Knowledge Circle is a body within the academy that uh, in particular looks at research across the different departments and functions in the academy. I'm an alumna myself from one of the master programs, and I was a co-head last year together with Tamar Shafir of Design, Curating, and Writing program where I'm continuing to teach. And what is this design research podcast that we're part of exactly? Well, it grew out of thinking about how design from the Design Academy is represented to the public and the limitations of most of the public interfaces we have, which uh, tend to relate to the Dutch Design Week and the exhibition that we have there and, and the conversations we also have, and also the public presentations in Milan Furniture Fair. And in these contexts, most of the um, traffic is visual and encountering the projects as an installation. And the podcast is an attempt to engage those projects by entering in them through conversation and unpacking the forms of research that take place. Great. So let's start by doing exactly that. Welcome, Irakli. Hello. You graduated uh, in June from the Bachelor of Man and Leisure. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and we're also joined by Axel Kaumanns. Hey. Hi. You also graduated. Congratulations. In June from the Bachelor of Food, Non-Food. Yeah, thanks. But yeah, we thought it would be nice to, to ask you, Irakli, um, before you describe your graduation project for us, if you could briefly think about if you graduated with a product or a project or a practice. There's no right answer to this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, definitely not a product. It is a practice in a way, but it's definitely a project. Uh, and also an action. So, uh, And yeah. how so? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, well, it is a practice through the research that I've done, um, developing the project, and also the way it functions after it is finished. Mm -hmm. It has a component of an installation. Of course, it is an installation, but it has a performative component where I get to participate and communicate about it, And uh, I am part of the project when it's exhibited. And uh, besides that, of course, there is this aspect of it that has to do with the real-world application. And the project is meant to intervene into an actual situation, an actual political status quo, and uh, make a say. So uh, that's the part when it becomes an action. And... In, let's say, this iteration of your project, it refers to Georgia. Yes, it is. Um, yes, the project is dedicated to the situation in Georgia. Um, since 2008, uh, 20% of Georgia has been occupied by Russia. 
And this project is addressing this situation. Since about 2011, they uh, started building a uh, barbed wire fence to the wall of the regions which are occupied. And this situation, this ongoing state of borderization, as they call it, uh, is causing a lot of problems for local communities, which is quite a devastating effect, and on the whole country as well. So this slow amputation of, of these regions that lasts over the period of decade, it's a very painful process. Um, and uh, I wanted to address this in my graduation project. And how did you address it? So when I started working on this very complicated situation, um, my intention was to not only tell the story about the problem, which of course needs to be done because much of what is happening is not very covered by the media. So you, I felt this responsibility to also bring this information forward and, and uh, create a piece that would, would start conversation around this. But uh, besides that, it was important for me to actually have a say and uh, to demonstrate, as, as I put it in my, in my design question, so to say, uh, what can design do? Or maybe to put it in more modest terms, what can I do in design in relation to this problem? So it uh, became this two-part project action uh, installation where, where I show what is happening through an interactive projection where a viewer can unveil the truth about the region uh, through casting a shadow on a projection, a technique that I developed for this purpose. But on the other hand, there is an installation with a barbed wire fence, and I developed and built a um, radio transmitter that plays a trick on the whole barbed wire structure. It attaches to it and uses it as an antenna, thus subverting it into a means of voicing a protest against the occupation. So from being a weapon of occupation, the barbed wire fence actually becomes a tool for, for voicing a protest against itself. Yeah, and maybe um, we can uh, ask Axel, because I mean, we brought the two of you together in this conversation uh, because you are both dealing with some sort of a border. Uh, with the notion of border, and I think uh, we do want to get into how it, in both cases, it does relate to uh, justice. But maybe Axel, you can start off with uh, to characterize the kind of border you, a border region, or the notion of a boundary that you were dealing with. And physically, how did you interact with that place in a tangible sense? How would you sort of characterize your engagement with that boundary? So the end result of my uh, project is a six meter long scanner that you place on the beach and you probably have you been to the North Sea I have yeah yes. okay so it, you probably know that when it's low tide you'll see these ripples in the in the sand uh, it's an imprint that is left by the by the movement of the water and this scanner that I made is able to read those ripples and copy that into a sound wave so this scanner is not scanning sound, but it's interpreting it as sound. And this pattern emerges out of a relationship between the relationship between two materials. So the, the North Sea has a material 
and the land as a material. And this is the interference in between, so kind of the conversation that the two of them are having without our human uh, interference with it. And as a Dutch person, I, I don't know if you know this, this saying, but there's a Dutch saying that goes, God created the earth in seven days, and on the eighth day, the Dutch created the Netherlands. Which is a Dutch saying because we, we there is this this sensation of you know we created this land, but I think that there is also a lot going on that is not our creation, but that the land has some integrity in itself, and this pattern is uh, is is kind of a way that it's kind of a this pattern or this 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 border or this pattern that marks that border is kind of showing that integrity of of the land. Um, the fact that it's moving and that it's in flux and as much as we try to manage it, you know, it will do its own thing also. So you're speaking about communication uh, between the land and the water. Could right. you maybe um, contextualize also like Iraqli did, like from the perspective of, um, because it, I think it is a, a bit of a political um, interest you have mm -hmm. in this, in, in dealing with this boundary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I first want to talk about the North Sea and then I want to talk about the land. So I work together with the embassy of the North Sea, which is emancipating the North Sea in, into a political body, which means that it, it, it has rights uh, on itself. And this is happening all around the world, uh, that rivers get human rights and, and, and the forest gets human rights in, in France not too long ago. But what we are doing, we are taking 12 years in order to uh, emancipate the North Sea towards that political body. Um, and we're, we're taking our time because we realize, okay, first, before we can represent something, we also have to listen really well towards what this thing wants that we represent. So, so therefore, we want to develop new ways of listening to a non-human landscape over the next four years. And that's where I came in with my graduation project. So that's the context of the scanner. So it's being used along the North Sea on manifestations and on gatherings to listen towards the landscape in a, in a different way. Well, th this border is not going to tell you a message, of course. It's not going to say you what, what it wants because it doesn't speak Dutch or it doesn't speak English. But it's really about the intention that you have, that you say, okay, you, you look down at this border and you say, okay, hey, you know, you matter and I'm going to listen to you. So this, this pattern that you scan on the beach is directly being translated into a, um, into a record. So next to the scanner, there's a big bucket and uh, in there, there's an empty, empty uh, LP record. Uh, and as this scanner is, um, is reading the beach, it is copying that pattern into the, into a groove on the record, so to say. Yeah. And how does it do that? With a small, really sharp, like diamond drill that just carves a little groove in a, in a, some kind of plastic sheet. Yeah. Yeah, and Iraqli, maybe you can also talk about how you deal with that boundary um, between one side and the other side of the fence. 
um, and and the role that you um, brought to the fence, like what what um, role does the fence take on in dealing with the situation? Well, um, when I started working on this project, I uh, soon realized that uh, the problem is is immense, and of course the the fact that it has to do with with entities like countries and it's a political subject i cannot just approach it in a from from a one designers or one students perspective and try to <laughs> come up with some sort of a solution but i came up with this way that i would use a metaphor as we often do and i thought about this invasion of the country that i've witnessed for a decade already and even earlier from from early 90s as a force that we cannot control, that we have absolutely no say on the outcome of the actions, and that's what, what, what is happening. And the first analogy that came to my mind was, of course, the natural disaster or the natural force that is coming. And we are just in the position of observing this and taking the consequences or dealing with the consequences of it. And uh, framing it in this way, it allowed me to also start working towards my own solution or my own position towards it, which was that if I can't control a force, if there is nothing to be done about it, maybe I can approach it as a natural force and I can tap into it or use its energy in some kind of way to twist it around for my own purpose or for some purpose that could even be opposed to the force itself. So looking at this political problem in such a way allowed me to actually isolate different components of this situation that I could maybe try to subvert into something else. And that's where the, the very weapon of occupation, the barbed wire fence, came in and uh, I started really focusing on that object. And what was the sort of um, agency that you saw? or? or um, well, I was looking at the fence from, uh, from various perspectives. And uh, as I have an um, education background in, in science, I tend to break things down to their very essential components and start to build them up from there. And um, obviously also with the fence, I, I started looking at its physical structure and what it gives me as a, as a, um, as a metal structure that is sitting on the ground, which is uh, kilometers long. And at some point, I remember researching various ways of interacting with metal structures and especially using electromagnetism and uh, waves of every sort. And I came, up, uh, uh, came across a beautiful... Um, radio tower, ironically, in Moscow, a beautiful uh, uh, radio tower called Shukhov Tower, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it, it really resembled the structure of the barbed wire fence, but it was, it was, of course, it was positioned vertically. And that's where I thought, if this structure can be an antenna, why can't the same structure exactly, but positioned horizontally, be an antenna? And uh, that's why that's where my um, uh, my 
idea started to attempt to transform the barbed wire fence into a radio antenna. So here's a question to both of you. Um, let's see if it works. Do you think you could switch the context of your project? Would they still work? Could the laser scanner, for example, trace the border and make it audible? What do you think? Uh, absolutely, I think it could. When I was developing the project, many sorts of ideas of, of, of voicing the, the actual border were, were considered. And um, yeah, I can definitely see it working. Absolutely. Uh, and I think Axel would say better if my idea would work in his case. But Yeah, most definitely. I think it could also be really interesting to just hook them up, you know, because I think your project is very much in the sending side of communication. And my scanner has mainly the listening component. It's really about the act of placing it, deciding on which part of the beats are you going to scan. So it's more like a listening tool than a, than a sending tool for that sake. Well, you have the, the audio recording after that, but it's not going to tell you very much. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to listen to. So why do you think that is? Why do you think you can switch the context or let's say you can switch the project Because then it's not due to the technical execution of the design, right? But it has got to do something with the maybe the research that you employed or the kind of thinking that led you to this project. Or to add a thing that might be the case. Maybe it's just also the idea of borders, that like the physical borders that we imagine. Maybe that's also, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud right now, but maybe that's something, maybe it's asking for vocalization. Yes, I think the fact that we are both dealing with the force that we cannot control, the force that we can merely observe, and we can comment about it, and we can of course have our say, but mostly it's about trying to understand what is happening and making an action in relation to it. Uh, that's what puts us both in a position of of being not merely observers i think uh, relation what you said i think that that is that is it like relating to that border or seeking for that relationship yeah that's what puts us in this relation to these phenomena that we are facing Design, 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 research podcast. It would be interesting to hear from both of you how you had to tap into different forms of um, uh, research outside of the design field. In my case, the research started uh, one year before the graduation, when uh, on the 10th anniversary of the war in summer, I finally decided to dedicate my graduation project to this matter. Uh, while going through the archive and, and, of course, these memories come back and that's where I started. And, uh, of course, there was a lot of research right away from um, uh, history and um, trying to understand the, the larger context of the events that are happening because, of course, it is, it is a very complex situation and uh, uh, Caucasus is uh, such a ethnically and... Uh, yeah, culturally diverse area 
that everything has multiple stories and uh, multiple narratives. So it was very important for me to uh, try to understand as much as I possibly could. And um, it took me to to Georgia, of course. But uh, interestingly, um, one of the main um, you know, characters in my research was uh, was a person who is a Dutch journalist who covered the war in 2008, Jeroen uh, Ackermans, who was there together with his cameraman, uh, Stan Storymans, who... Uh, was killed uh, during the bombing of the city of Gori. So when I found the documentary that uh, Jaron Ackermans had made about the conflict and uh, about the situation in the region, I directly contacted him. And uh, he was very kind to schedule an appointment with me in Berlin, where I, uh, where I went to meet him. And that's where my uh, more focused research started, because he opened up uh, a lot of connections for me and uh, ways of looking, really journalistic type of research, which started from there on. But um, I think it is. It was always um, throughout the process very important to me to keep this two sides of of, of research. That of course going on uh, in parallel is uh, the research into the matter, but uh, also the research into your own uh, approach. So how uh, how do you approach the problem, and what is the thing that touches you the most? What is the point that hurts you the most because with such a abstract notion or a phenomenon as a, as a, as a uh, armed conflict or an occupation it's really hard to find a human scale approach when you can actually grab something and and uh, and elaborate on it and that was the other important part of the research where I actually was looking for the thing that would hurt me the most to to expand it and to address it, to face it. Um, Axel, how did you do research? And maybe also, who did you collaborate with? Because you also collaborated in your projects a little bit. The, um, I think the first beginnings of this, uh, of the research was in the second year at the Design Academy at a... Um, at a different project, I was doing a project about the River Rhine and how that river is being transformed into drinking water uh, for the city of Amsterdam. And visiting this this process of the making of drinking water from river water, I uh, stumbled up some kind of uh, material that was left over in this process, and it's some kind of clay. And this 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 clay, I I wondered where does this clay come from and they told me what well, it comes from the river Rhine and you see this amount of clay and they're like okay so how does it get into the river Rhine I mean it's got to come from somewhere right and then I learned how at the top of the Alps some really small organisms start making a little bit of organic matter which becomes the first beginnings of fertile soil downstream of rivers and when I when I heard that my whole idea about the land under my feet changed because suddenly the Netherlands is not something that was built, but the Netherlands was something, well, the Netherlands was not the Netherlands anymore, but it was the delta of the river Rhine, which happens to be called the Netherlands, but in, out of itself, it's the delta of the river Rhine and uh, Meuse, the river Maas in the south of the Netherlands. So 
so that was two years ago or two and a half years ago. And at my first attempt to graduate, I uh, because uh, I needed uh, two attempts, my first attempt to graduate, I um, traveled the River Rhine from the from the s- source in the south of Switzerland to uh, the North Sea. Initially, I wanted to do this by canoe, so I trained a lot for it. So I thought, okay, you know, I'm ready. And uh, then after 17 kilometers, my canoe uh, got stuck and I fell out. And uh, it was impossible to retrieve it because it was so stuck. So I had 17 great kilometers of canoeing. All my stuff was still in the canoe, so I literally only had the clothes that were on me. And luckily my camera, because I had it in the pocket of my of my swimming vest, you know. After some help of some locals in Switzerland, I was able to borrow some money, buy a second-hand uh, mountain bike, which was actually a little bit too small for me. <laughs> and I cycled back to, uh, to, to, to the Netherlands. And the reason why this is uh, important is because I wanted to to get this I wanted to to get to know this process a little bit that makes the Netherlands I wanted to get to know this this river a little bit so that's also why it was impossible to graduate with it because it was not really a project it was just somebody going down the river on a canoe but it was important because I thought I had to be in the in the water in order to experience or to get to know this river but this river put me kind of on my place and throw me back onto the onto its shores of you know saying to me it's not gonna happen like this and from following the river on its shores still i was still able to see the river and maybe even better so because i was able to see the relationship between the land and the river so the first few days the river was crystal clear but the day that it rained the whole river turns white because it takes up like minerals from the from the cliffs and, and changes the complete complexion of this river. And that is happening all the time. So this river started to become something that was not only a stream of water, but also very much connected to the to the land around it. And taking that into account, ending up at the North Sea, this flux or this border that we made between water and land, but which is not really there because it's very much interrelated. Um, because of that trip, the embassy of the North Sea approached me. They, they, they heard about it and they were offering me to uh, work with them. So I took that kind of thinking uh, from that uh, expedition into the context of the North Sea. Um, and that's what my graduation project eventually, uh, how it came together. Yeah, It's fascinating that both of you also deal with coding. Uh, coding as a form of language making or a form of transmitting from one entity to another. Um, could you talk about the, the reason coding was important or the, in the role of like symbolic language uh, and the political ambitions of your project? Um, there, there's a lot of language being used in the coding that comes from water, flow, current. Well, I'm not an expert on this, so, but it's a really interesting history also that's for a reason and for example uh, the sine wave the way that we that we have sterilized sound to some kind of simple representation into a sound wave in the 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 sine the sine wave so all of that is very much related and i don't think that's 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 coincidence 
So were you speaking about research? Uh, both of you mentioned like pretty different ways of starting your research and also getting knowledge from outside of the academy. But since we are also recording this at Design Academy Eindhoven, we were wondering if, yeah, you would like to maybe give feedback to the academy in terms of the resources that were available to you or did you feel that it would have been maybe easier to work in a different way if if the certain body of knowledge was accessible to you? I think in general the approach of uh, of my department, which is the Department of Men and Leisure, um, was very helpful uh, in that uh, they're very open to, to your own way of of uh, of research and uh, uh, and even more uh, they're they're trying to encourage you to develop your own ways of working on a project while, of course, guiding uh, you through the process. So I, I would say in that sense, I had uh, um, only only positive um, um, experience. This position of, of graduating from Design Academy, it, it even outside the academy puts you in this, I wouldn't say privileged, but... Uh, somehow important position where people acknowledge that that you are doing something that is uh, worthwhile or they should listen to you or maybe spend some time with you and this this helps a lot even though it's it's hard to pinpoint at what point uh, the decisions are made or how it actually goes but you feel it all along when you say oh I'm graduating from design academy suddenly something changes in the room and uh, it becomes a bit tiny bit nicer and maybe friendlier. How about you? So my um, department was food, non-food. Well, I think I want to say two things. First of all, they really pushed us always to look outside of the walls that encapsulate this uh, academy. Nothing that there's wrong with being in here because I always loved the kind of time frame that you had for four years to, to, to learn within this place as an institution and as learning crafts but they always really pushed us to also look outside and to collaborate with partners like the mental health care institute or civil servants from the, uh, the province of north brabant because that's 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 th those are the ones that you're gonna work with afterwards it's not gonna be mainly designers it's gonna be people who are not designers but people who would like to get a taste of that or you know who just want to work with designer so yeah and the second thing that i wanted to say is this is this time frame that you get for four years to develop yourself or to be able to choose yourself how to develop what are the things that you want to learn that was so n new to me that is a kind of learning that is not very common at least for what i've seen in in my surrounding But did you always, in terms of theory, for example, or in terms of method, did you always get what you needed? Some theory I would get it from the department. We would have some sessions in which we would have a reader that we would go through together, for example. But most of the theory I would read up myself, just books from my own library. And yeah, that's also personal, personal preference, I think. Could both of you or 
could you um, give give some ideas on some of the tools and, and uh, resources that the academy gave in order to support your research? Is there like a language in that developed in your department or in the academy that you felt was uh, paramount to the kind of research you were able to do? And could you give some insight to some of those um, references or ways of speaking about research? Well, research is mainly contextual, right? It's about something and methodological, of course, but every teacher that you're connected with is also a researcher of some sorts, right? Within their own context. So once you're not connected contextually to your teachers, there's not much that they can help you with in the content or context of your uh, research. So then they can only help you methodically. Uh, What I would say about this is maybe search for places where students who are doing research are able to show their research outside of the academy to researchers who are not not with a design uh, background but that are contextually connected so if you're doing research about a i don't know the, the corn wolf or something in the fields of north brabant uh, make sure you're connected with um, that context and don't do your thinking only from out of these white walls because then you can only make something that can exist between uh, white walls and you want something that exists I think in the real world so that starts with connecting your research from the beginning on in the right place because then your project emerges out of the right place how is that for you in general, uh, the approach of, of my department, the Department of Man and Leisure, is uh, very research-based. Throughout the years, we've uh, went through projects uh, which were all uh, a kind of a rehearsal for for uh, for the final one. So you acquire a uh, a tool set of of different methods. In my project, uh, I would say I pretty much used most of my my resources because it was very very demanding, uh, especially in the field of research. So everything that I learned <laughs> during the process, at least it felt like it was was in use and was employed in order to go through this and um, and materialize it in the end. So of course it would be very hard to pinpoint on a particular particular moment when this knowledge was acquired but could you name some of those tools or could you could you describe some of those tools or maybe they are, are methods or processes to mention just a few skills that you acquire in this regard uh, would be ones that I used a lot uh, d- during my um, my research were interviews and how to conduct interviews and not only the the uh, the actual process but of course the preparation and the process and the analysis of and how to deal with with the material and of course when you are wor- doing a research for an year you you gather an immense amount of material that you need to then crystallize into a intelligible and uh, and uh, um, and um, actually relevant points that you can use so of course that kind of approach is is uh, very important but also in general i would say we 
were um, very encouraged to use as many phenomena as um, as materials for for uh, for our project. So I remember in one of one of my uh, projects during the process. I was, uh, because the only material that I had in, in the process was my diary. So I, I was using my diary as a material which was actually later on transformed into a physical manifestation, but, but still the text itself, the words. So I, I learned how to use basically a uh, very immaterial uh, substance uh, and, and translate it into or use it to translate uh, it into um, something physical. Fascinating, because uh, you did the opposite, Axel. In a way, yes, but in another way, I don't, I don't think so, because you talk about conducting interviews, um, you talk about your diary that, that you use, which is some kind of threading to follow, right? Something that stands uh, central and... Uh, for me, that was was the river, but along this river, you know, you also have to conduct interviews to understand what does this town that you find here do with this river? How do they think about the river? You know, what 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 do they notice about it? Yeah, and the scripting that uh, you could see on the beach in a temporary state, you sort of captured that as a kind of uh, diary that the that the sea was writing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there was the role of um, developing the machine in order to translate, uh, in order to capture um, the speaking of the sea. Uh, but the, the impact or the outcome of your project is changing our ideas of what communication is or, or starting to understand a broader spectrum of language. Yeah. Well, what do you hear when you listen to the sea? If you just listen to it like that, what do you hear? It's noise, right? White noise. And um, uh, the same happens if there's too many people talking in a room at the same time. It just becomes noise because you can't separate the one thing of meaning from the other. That's with a television as well. If there's too many different images coming in on an antenna, you get noise. It's not that there's nothing coming in. It means that you just can't transpose what is coming in to into something that you know. So there is a lot to hear in the noise of the sea, but we don't speak the same language. We're not literate to understand the sea. And then I think it's a really interesting question. What do we regard as an outcome uh, within a design academy? I think it's an outcome if you can continue with it, if it leads up to something. or, And I think then you're ready to leave school and just you know go your own way. Great. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes. Design, design, design. Design, we research podcast.